0: We also have um, another film we'd like to show you. This is a great example of some early kind of advertising in film. Let's see. Now, this is actually um, an eight minutes long um, to begin with, um, but we're only going to show you um, about the first three or four minutes of this. Of course, we see the young sti- um, stenographer there. Who is working? A very busy day. We see her and her boss. It's obvious, you know, from her expressions there that, you know, she's got a lot on her plate. She's really stressed out. He's giving her lots of work. This is a great example of how silent film also was done, of course, without, uh, when you you don't have sound, you know, how expressions worked, how uh, movement um, was able to express purpose. Uh, And this would, again, be one of those, a great film to use with students, having them actually narrate and create a script for it. as I mentioned, um, that is actually a two-part um, commercial uh, It's a total of eight minutes. So it's one that you could either watch in halves or watch the entire thing with your class. Um, but it's a good one to see how um, early advertising was done in film um, and so that you could see how Edison um, was using not only his um, technology with the film companies that he had, but also use that as a way to um, also promote his other businesses. So, um, these are really great examples of looking at marketing and advertising um, during the time period. Now uh, the last um, thing that I w- issue that I want to look at is actually um, women's suffrage. Um, women's suffrage is another topic where there are lots of great primary sources available from the Library of Congress, and we're going to look at just a couple. Um, here we have a flyer that was done. This was created um, by the Women's Suffrage Party. Um, it is part one of six different flyers that you can look at. And here we see uh, talking about why women should vote, reasons women should vote. Um, so you could have your students read through this, think about the different um, things that are stated here, the different purposes, the first one being, of course, that women must obey the law just as men do, they should vote equally with men, um, and so on and so forth. We see the different reasons that they um, were advocating for the right to vote. Um, Political cartoons are another example of some great sources that show um, how people both argued for and against um, women's right to vote. This one is actually um, one that argues against women's right to vote. We see the young mother there, or the mother there, kind of climbing up the steps. We see her children at the bottom. And each step is labeled with a different word. We start with love and marriage and children and home at the bottom. And as it moves up to where she's at, we see suffrage, strife, anxiety, and loneliness. Um, So you can see here that the creator of this, um, this political cartoon was saying that, of course, women's suffrage would lead to problems in the home, um, you know, such as loneliness. Uh, you know, the careers um, would take women away from their children, um, and so again, advocating that um, suffrage was probably not the best thing for the country. Um, we also have images that kind of document the you know the work um, that took place. Um, this is actually a pretty famous image right here. This is Alice Paul. Um, at the Nas- who was the chairman for the Women's Party um, as she unfurled the flag after Tennessee had ratified, um, ratified the 19th Amendment. Um, and so this is one that you could show your students and have them think about you know who were the other um, 35 states aside from Tennessee and also think about the role of the National Women's Party. Um, so these are just um, a group of examples um, that you could use with your students. Um, looking at some different topics, um, and this is just scratching the surface. There are many, many more primary sources um, that you can look at um, that look at any of the different topics um, that that pertain to the progressive era. Um, But we're going to switch gears right now and actually um, bring up um, Katie Randall, um, who is a student with the Center for Historic Preservation, a student here at MTSU, um, who is going to talk about um, a lesson plan with education reform. Thanks, Kira. As Kara
1: mentioned earlier, progressives were also very interested in education reform, and more specifically, they were very interested in education reform in rural areas. Um, so when we talk about Rosenwald schools, as Kara mentioned, um, we're talking about the early 20th century rural southern school building program. Um, that was initiated by Chicago philanthropist Julius Rosenwald and Alabama black leader Booker T. Washington of Tuskegee. Between 1913 and 1932, more than 5,000 school buildings for African-American students were constructed in 15 states. That was in virtually every county across the South. There were 354 of these schools built in Tennessee. Um, this really introduced modern education for 20th century black Southerners and contributed significantly to increase school attendance and literacy among black Southerners. It's really important for students to understand that Rosenwald schools didn't only replace um, existing rural school buildings, but in some communities, they were the first schools present within that community. So in some cases, families previously had actually sent their um, students or their children to live with relatives so that they could attend school because in their community they had not had a school before. So they really um, made advancements not just for the students but for communities as a whole. And that was really what Rosenwald envisioned to begin with. He envisioned these schools as tangible lasting structures for African-American uplift that would promote black citizenship. And the way in which these schools were funded through partnership between local communities and the Rosenwald Fund, um, through grassroots activism, empowered African-Americans and their communities. And they viewed these schools with a sense of pride and achievement. Um, I'm gonna play just a couple of short, like two or three minute video clips. These were actually found on the Alabama of Encyclopedia's website. Um, and they do focus a little bit more on Rosenwald schools in Alabama, but they give a really good overview of the Rosenwald Fund. Um, And you'll be able to find discussion question handouts soon on the TPS Across Tennessee website that you can use in the classroom to go along with these videos. Um, So the first video I'm going to play actually focuses specifically on the establishment of the Rosenwald Fund and the Rosenwald Schools of the American South.
2: In the subject of money for schools, Alabama has never gotten very good marks. Despite the romance of the Little Red Schoolhouse, classroom conditions a century ago reflected an economy still reeling from reconstruction and one-crop agriculture. Rural schools for everyone were primitive. For blacks, under the policy of separate but equal, the state's performance on the former was perfect and on the latter perfectly awful.
3: The buildings themselves were generally uh, uh, a very rude construction of uh, rough planks, slightly elevated off the ground, or sometimes not in just a dirt floor. There may be seats, there may not be, books were, were hard to come by. These are not the most desirous circumstances for education.
2: A thousand miles and a world away in Chicago, The president of Sears Roebuck lived among the corporate elite. But on his 50th birthday, Julius Rosenwald, the son of Jewish German immigrants, would touch the lives of black people in Alabama and secure his name in history. In 1914, he formed a partnership with Booker T. Washington and established a multi-million dollar building program that would eventually construct over 5,000 schools for rural blacks in the South. The first 100 would be built in Alabama. The buildings were simple and could be constructed for about $600 each, but were meticulously planned. Although most were one-room structures, they were based on the latest ideas in learning. Ironically, this significant advance for African Americans came out of a context very much about limits on black achievement.
1: And then the second video focuses mostly on the impact of Rosenwald schools and the opportunities that they created for blacks across the South.
2: This was the time of the birth of Jim Crow. Black disfranchisement, and the great migration of blacks to the north. Booker T. Washington had exploited southern fears of losing the agricultural workforce to establish Tuskegee Institute and had attracted substantial northern philanthropy by stressing his non-threatening philosophy of practical education. The expedient Washington knew that these new schools, extensions of the Tuskegee model, meant different things to different people. The black educators then, and
3: Booker T. Washington himself, are faced with this curious position of being the purveyors of an ideology of subordination. But on the other hand, they were also the opposite to the black people who put in the bulk of the money to build these schools, to create these schools, and the labor to create these schools. They saw them as sites of freedom.
2: In fact, of at least $28 million expended by 1932, a large percentage came from rural blacks themselves, either in donated labor or in the form of countless small donations collected in so-called snuffbox campaigns. And in practice, because they were hungry for education, They took the curriculum well beyond the boundaries of manual arts. We had a lot of uh, academic work to do. Emphasis was placed on mostly uh, mathematics, geography, history, and uh, English. Fanny Whitfield started school at the Rosenwald School in Midway in 1923. She went on to college and herself became a teacher, largely because of its inspiration. The school itself meant much to me because uh, it was my foundation. As he had intended, Rosenwald's generosity would improve the lives of a multitude of individuals. But because of the initiative of the people themselves, it would provide a spark for a level of progress well beyond the expectations of him or his generation.
3: Once you get the, get the skills, what you do with them rests on, uh, uh, in the hearts and minds of blacks themselves. That becomes the challenge, and that is a challenge that blacks are going to answer in a very profound way that
2: will work toward the undermining of racial hierarchy. Most of the few Rosenwald schools that do remain have been abandoned. An effort is currently underway to locate them and nominate them to the National Register of Historic Places.
1: So, Like I said, those are just great short little clips that you can use in the classroom that give students an idea of what preceded Rosenwald schools and what the Rosenwald schools look like.